Hi, folks. This week on the podcast, we are going to be talking about what you can do as an applicant in the cycle at this point, right? So we're in January. We've hit winter break. We've celebrated the holidays uh, or at least taken some time off if you're still in school. Hopefully had some time off if you're out in the working world, but you're back and you're like, I think my cycle has more potential than what it has given so far. So we're going to be talking about how you can take some ownership of the cycle and to actually do something that can give you some good results this week. All right. So we're going to be talking about, you know, why you might be communicating with these folks, what that communication may look like and a few other related topics. So it should be a good uh, episode, especially for those students and those applicants who are in the current cycle. So buckle up and let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the Pre-Health Podcast at Penn State, the show to help all pre-health students on their journeys to acceptance. My name is John Moses Bronson, and I'm back in the studio today with my lovely colleague, Kimberly Johnson. It's our first day back. I know. So this episode won't come out for a while, but this is our first day back to work after the winter break. We're a little discombobulated. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit, um, it's about, it's a bit like waking up. Like once you're first up, you're like, where am I? What is this? We're moving at a different pace. <laughs> Absolutely. So this episode, we decided we wanted to tackle something that is really time relevant for this time of year. So we wanted to talk about those students in the current cycle who are perhaps not getting the responses or the action on their applications that they perhaps anticipated, right? And for some students, you know, we started having these conversations in early December, but right now is a wonderful time to be doing a lot of this type of thinking. If you spoke to us in late November, Mm -hmm. And sometimes very early December, we likely told you to just sit tight for a little Mm -hmm. bit longer and that we'd circle back around to some of these thoughts in January. Sometimes I'll have students, like Mm -hmm. I'll say like, throw together a draft. Yes. See what comes out, but don't submit it yet. The draft feels productive Mm -hmm. without actually doing anything prematurely. Yeah. Because... You know, and we'll come to this later, but understanding that like your cycle is not the only cycle that's going on is really, really important here. You are actually fitting yourself into the admissions offices cycles. Yes. And if you're applying to 20 schools, that means you're fitting yourself into the cycle of 20 different admissions offices. Yeah. And there are certainly similarities, but they all have their own process. <laughs> exactly. So we kind of want to give a nice overview that everybody can use and work with because we don't want something that is med school specific or any of any health profession specific. We want something that's sort of a little bit more one size fits all in terms of advice, just because we work with a ton of students in a lot of different pathways. We know a lot of our listeners are on a lot of different pathways as well. So let's, start our conversation by sort of talking about why we might be communicating with admissions at this time of year. You know, understanding your why helps direct your what, and then that helps to influence your when and and where and how. <laughs> so, so I think the biggest one is if you haven't heard anything at all, it's sort of been a little radio silence on your application for the year. That is so hard. It's really hard. And, you know, as we do this longer and longer, I realize that there isn't really a rhyme or reason to the students that haven't heard anything. Sometimes it is an underprepared student. And perhaps we've had that conversation. But oftentimes it's a student that I'm like, huh, 
I would have expected you to have had more more bites on this hook. A little bit of traction. Yeah, a lot more traction in some cases. You know, you know, some of our students, one student in particular that I'm thinking about from last cycle, from my perspective, was one of the best prepared. Uh, you know, they were always so on top of things, really thoughtful in everything that they were doing, and um, just had not gotten the response that I would have anticipated. Is this a student that we both work with? Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, I agreed in that scenario. And this is where being in touch with your pre-health advisor Mm -hmm. is really, really beneficial. Yeah. And probably being in touch with us prior to January is helpful. If you know that you've got an application that should have gotten some traction. So be really honest with yourself because... I, sometimes there's a reason and you know what that reason is, yeah. whether or not you feel like saying it out loud or not. And yeah. that's a human. Yeah. That's just part of being human. We get that. But if you just know very clearly that you are expecting to get some real traction, some good bites by now, then definitely reach out to us because yeah. that's part of, I mean. Yeah. Every student is going to have strengths and weaknesses in their application. If you know that you had some like serious weaknesses or deficiencies even if other parts of your application were really strong this really isn't the situation this is not you this is not you yeah you're sort of a different conversation there's nothing wrong with that applying is a valuable exercise it's not the right exercise for everybody by any stretch of the imagination but for some students it's a necessary step to get them to where they need to be um but these are really the students who are like I have significant strengths. I don't have any massive weaknesses. They're a well-rounded, well-set-up applicant. And I know that my school list was appropriate. That's huge. Yeah. I, I wasn't, like, applying to all these elite schools with a 508 MCAT. Right. right. Where, like, their average MCAT scores are, like, 515 and above. That's a hard sell regardless. Um, but, so that might be a reason you haven't heard anything it could be students who are perhaps on a wait list. And for me, this sort of falls into two categories. And I think you sort of feel the same way about students on wait lists. Some students on wait lists are on wait lists for schools that they're like, yeah, I'd go here. And some school students are on wait lists for their absolute 100% top choice. And boy, is that painful. Yes, it is. And then I would say the fourth category And this is something that I think a lot of students want to pursue, but is not necessarily appropriate for every student. And what we sort of categorize here is this idea of a big update. Continuing to do things that were already on your primary application is not necessarily what's being looked at for here. That's not a big update. No. And that's okay. It's okay. What is being looked for here are things that would have significantly changed the perception of your application if they were on your application back in June or May, right? We're looking for things that make me see you in a new light, not just more of what I already know. A new job that adds some sort of dimension or perspective that you didn't have. Right. A big publication. Yes. um, That is sort of the culmination Mm -hmm. of some work that you've been contributing to for many years. A big personal life change. Absolutely. I, I was working with a student who had a family member that had a significant medical crisis, and they've been working with them, doing some translation with healthcare professionals and so has really seen healthcare in a completely different way that has really reinforced a lot of the things in their initial application but has given them way more context for what that truly means in practice right so it's not something that completely changes an application it's something that greatly enhances something that was always there but is big it's got to be big because they expect you to stay involved and mm-hmm. keep up with your interest. Right. 
that's just per, a normal part of this process. So they mm-hmm. don't need to know about that because that should be happening anyway. Exactly. This should be something that they can't anticipate. Correct. Something that tells them something new about you. Yeah. Um, that would change how they view your application. Yeah. And and so updates like that, it's really important to talk with an advisor beforehand. These are the things I'm thinking of including. And we can sort of work with you on perhaps this is a great update letter. Let's talk about how you present this and how you sort of like weave it into the overall narrative of your application. Or is this perhaps not sort of rising to the level and we need to rethink how you're approaching this part of your application? I often redirect people from an update letter mm-hmm. to more of a letter of continued interests yeah. with a few little nuggets of mm-hmm. personal achievement mm-hmm. from the past six, seven, eight months. Yeah. I think a letter of continued interest is, is that's sort of where we're going to start when we talk about our types of communication. Yes. This is a nice transition. A letter of continued interest is basically just saying like, hey, in the event that you're not super sure that I'm really interested, this is me telling you explicitly that I am. I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm still interested. So if it's a choice between me who has shared this statement saying, I am still interested in you as an institution. Here's the specific reasons why. And someone who hasn't reached out to them at all, it does help in some admissions offices in certain circumstances. You know, as we sort of construct this conversation, it's important to note that all admissions offices are going to look at communications like this a little bit differently. There are some schools that allow you to share an unlimited amount of communication, There are some schools that have very strict requirements. You know, I know of a school that only required, that only permits two. And I know some schools that permit nothing. Nothing. Yep. Which is very frustrating. It's a frustrating place to be with those ones. But what they're doing is they're giving you some insight into their process. Yeah. And we never want to interfere with their process. Exactly. Uh, Which is why sometimes we just sit on a draft for six weeks, eight weeks, because we know that it's not the right time to zip that off. It's more of an exercise for yourself to help Mm -hmm. sort of extend your patience a little bit longer. A little bit, yeah. Because admissions officers are not making a ton of big decisions in December. They're not, they, they have had a very long fall and they're looking for a break too. And so they're sort of intentionally looking to come back in spring with a bit of fresh eyes to all of the challenges that they've been looking at and all the students they've been looking at. So you don't want to have something that's hitting them and them looking at and responding to when they're sort of at that place in their own cycle. You want more of that fresh perspective of like, okay, well, let me look at the student now. I also think about timing in regards to what does someone's email inbox look like mm-hmm. after, let's say, a 10-day or two-week break. Yeah. They might still be working over the break reading existing materials. So it's not that they're not working necessarily, but if everybody's suddenly sending in a letter mm-hmm. and they've got X number of these sitting in their inbox, while it goes into your file and might get reviewed at some point it might be it might hit a little bit differently if there's not a hundred other people doing it at exactly the same time yeah i mean i'm feeling some fatigue today so i can't imagine walking into the office with and and these letters are all going to be relatively similar i mean that's the just the way this goes Mm -hmm. the challenge with any of the types of communication at this point is that you don't want to send anything out that's generic. No. If if you are thinking of sending the same communication to more than one school, you need to stop and and take a look at the message that that's sending because that's that is what a primary application does is it sets that foundation. At this point, you're helping schools to understand how you are viewing yourself at their institution and the value that you're going to contribute there. 
So you don't want anything generic. And if anything, if, if you're not relating to some of the specific uniqueness of a school, you've gone about the process in the wrong way. So when we talk about a letter of continued interest, yes, everyone's going to be expressing their continued interest in that mm-hmm. institution if they're writing that letter. But they're giving a really specific reason. Mm-hmm. Um maybe some sort of program that that school runs in the community or an element of the curriculum or Mm -hmm. research uh, that's ongoing that you'd like to be a part of. And then you're reminding them of why that element of Mm -hmm. their program is important to you. So that the school sees, okay, they are still interested, but they're not still interested just because they're looking for a spot at our school. They're interested because... XYZ experience that they have aligns with yeah. a value of ours. And so they're interested because they continue to be a very good fit for what we're doing. Mm-hmm. It, it's sort of like a free form secondary. It It's almost like a tertiary. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say it resembles more of a secondary than yeah. the primary. For uh, sure. But you want to keep it brief. You don't want... Yeah. They read enough as it is. You want to be succinct here. This is not the place where you're writing a two, three page letter. This is like a, a th- maybe a three fourths to a full page. And not every school is going to get a letter like this. Exactly. These, this is how you prioritize the schools where you feel you're a really strong fit. It's like when you're looking at your secondary lists, you're like, mm-hmm. which of these am I most excited to complete? Mm-hmm. Which of these are just... yeah happening right away in yeah. these in these first couple of days after I receive them, hopefully we're seeing some alignment mm-hmm. with yeah. where that letter of continued interest is going. The um, big thing here to denote, there are some secondaries that ask you to detail why you're interested in a specific school. Don't double chat what you've done in that secondary because that's already part of your file too. So Maybe you build upon some things that you talked about in the secondary, and it's fine to reference that. In my the sec this secondary essay for your institution, I talked about this during this past semester. I did X, Y, or Z that has helped me be better. To know that even more, this is something that I want. I have this new insight about it. You want it to be an extension, not a reiteration. I have so many students who come to me and say, "Oh." Well, I thought I couldn't say the same thing twice. Mm-hmm. I always try to explain how there's two different ways of saying the same thing twice. Mm-hmm. There's just verbatim saying the same thing twice. Mm-hmm. Maybe not verbatim, but close to it. Yeah. And then there's what you just said, John, which is building on something that you've already demonstrated. Yeah. And that's the direction that we always want to take things in an application because we always want to demonstrate growth Mm -hmm. um, and a greater depth of understanding. Yeah. It's a, it's a nice sort of, you're, you're sort of like wink, wink, nudge, nudging and saying like, there's more than what's on the paper with me. And it, it can create some additional interest in you as an applicant. So Sort of moving beyond that, we sort of look at like the traditional update letter. And this is really for those big updates, those significantly different things. And again, with this, it's not something that's generic and that you're going to send to the same schools. Maybe you have two big updates. Maybe some schools hear about both. Some schools hear about one or the other. It should be tied to something that's really attractive and meaningful about that institution for you. Right. So I think about a student who um, was in Philadelphia and they had been um, volunteering with an organization called Angels in Motion. They do harm reduction, needle exchanges uh, all around the city of Philadelphia. They got hired on as a permanent staff member. There's very few of those people with that organization. And so there was a big shift in, you know, sort of just like doing the work versus organizing, training coaching these other individuals. And so that was a huge update for them. That wasn't a relevant update to places like Geisinger that don't have, that don't do street medicine in that way. Right. But a lot of the Philadelphia schools pit, that was really important to them. And so 
that did become more of a showcase moment in those sorts of communications. I'm thinking of a student who was doing um, city year. Oh, and, I love city year. and of course, because of the timing of the application cycle and city year, mm-hmm. they really didn't have much experience in the job mm-hmm. when they were writing their secondaries. Mm-hmm. They were just being oriented. Yeah. And by the time January came around, they had taken on some significant leadership roles in the school they were working at, doing some really great mentor mentoring for some of the boys at that school. That's awesome. And that was a huge step in sort of maturity mm-hmm. and um, more professional adult leadership rather yeah. than sort of in a student org, which they already have, but is yeah. a very different nature. And I really think that that letter made a big difference. Yeah. And that wasn't an example that had to be tailored to the school. So specifically in this case, yeah. um, like your previous example, because this is sort of a... This was a skill they had developed that could be applied in many different settings. Yeah. Um, but that was a really big update for them, and I think that, that that did a lot for their application. Yeah, so so when we talk about updates, they may look really different. Um, but, again, we want you to really think about, is this super significant? Is it changing the way that people are perceiving me? Um, again, with updates, you know, your example is a good one in that Yes, that example could go to any school, but how you relate it to that school and how you talk about it specifically will get tailored to that individual school. What are the programs that they have? What are the opportunities available that can utilize that skill in a meaningful way? Who are the patients that could be well served by having that experience? Does the school have a pipeline program that maybe works with a similar population that Mm -hmm. you're working with right now or... Yeah. Geographic or do they run a free clinic where there's a lot of patients like this that have a hard time wanting to be seen or treated by that clinic? Right. Does your perspective and experience give you something different to help bring those patients in? This is not so different than hiring and reading cover letters. Yeah. I think in my experience, I can always tell when a cover letter has been sent to 50 different people, places places to be reviewed for a job. And that's just not what I'm interested in reading. I want to read a cover letter that, yeah, maybe you've copied and pasted some elements. Let's not reinvent the wheel. Yeah. But you've really, really made it specific for this job that you're applying to and the audience who's going to be reviewing that application. Yeah. So we have another type of letter here. Very different. And this is where we're sort of more looking at those students who have been waitlisted. And this is your top choice school. That is a painful position to be in. It is a painful, painful place to be. It's like so hopeful, but also Mm -hmm. the opposite all at the same time. This letter is the correct type to write for so few students. But the students who it is the right letter for them to write, it can be very powerful in the admission cycle. And this is called a letter of intent. When I help students sort of like contextualize this letter I tell them the very first sentence should leave no doubt in the reader's mind that they are your top choice and regardless of what happens you will be accepting an offer if you are provided one the very first sentence should tell them everything that they need to know and so this is not something that you're leaving up for interpretation you don't want to infer things This is an explicit letter. The content for that first opening line should not be terribly difficult because of your level of enthusiasm. Yes. Now, structurally, it might be difficult to write because you're Mm -hmm. trying to make that, you know, succinct Mm -hmm. and easy to read and appealing all at the same time. But the content should just be like, like, of course, this is the school for me. Like, I can't imagine anything else. This is the easiest thing for me to say. I will tell everybody where I'd like to go. When I think of my future in 10 years, like, this is going to be a major part of my identity. Yeah. Um, That's what this letter is about. And you have to mean it. Oh, yeah. And we can all say that. Yes. You do not send more than one letter of intent. Nope. You you should know with certainty 
that this is the school, the program, the year. If you get called in to talk to them again, you just have to radiate this. And if Uh you are sending this to five schools and hoping that they don't realize that, if anyone tries to talk to you about it, it, they're going to realize. And if you send a letter of intent and you do get that acceptance and you pay the, the little deposit and then another school gives you an acceptance and you're off and on your way, it doesn't look good does not look good and it's important to keep in mind that this is not the end of your journey these are your future colleagues your future bosses your future residency directors and the impression that you're making now um could have repercussions in the future it's wildly unprofessional to send a letter of intent and not follow through on it and Sure, maybe you do get another opportunity for medical school. That sounds great. But maybe the residency that you want to go to is at that other place. But now you have a reputation. I think there are very few instances where it would be appropriate to go somewhere else. And that would be if there's just some factor that, let's say, is a financial factor. I could see a full ride maybe changing. Saying, And then you would write a very sincere note to that original institution and say as much as I wanted to go here and still want to go here there's simply no way that I can justify it since I have received a full ride offer from this from another institution you don't even name the institution never name the other institution just say from another institution and I very regretfully inform that I have to decline the offer that you've made to me Best case scenario, Mm -hmm. they offer you more money, but if they don't, and if it's just not possible, at least you have left on good terms. A school can understand a financial choice. Absolutely. They can't, um, they don't, they won't tolerate an unprofessional one. And I would think maybe, so we have financial, the other element might be something really, really personal. Yeah. Like a very big change in family circumstances, Mm -hmm. like a seriously ill parent. Mm -hmm. And you think it would be best if you stayed, you know, an hour from home Mm -hmm. rather than 12 hours from home. Yeah. That, of course, is understandable, but you should be very forthcoming Mm -hmm. about why you've had to change your mind on attending their institution. Again, these are like big, serious things. Big things. It's not, wow, I got into this school I never thought I'd get into. If there's a chance that you could get into a school that you want to go to more, don't send a letter of intent. There's other options for you at that point. There's other things that you can do. The letter of intent is a tool to let schools know that you're going to accept that offer and they can rely on you showing up in the next year. There's a lot of power in that, right? There's so many schools that they don't like managing wait lists because it's a lot of time and energy and there's a lot of uncertainty in it, right? So there's this other element here, and this is coming from my experience working at a medical school specifically, in that their seats that they offer are often very much limited, let's say, or regulated by the number of clinical training opportunities that they have. Mm -hmm. When I say that they have fought for each and every training opportunity that they have available, I absolutely mean it. Physician directors of clerkships going in over multiple years, cultivating, building relationships, Mm -hmm. To get one more spot Mm -hmm. so that that medical school can now afford to offer one more seat. Their auditorium might be able to accommodate 50 more people. But if they can't give that clerkship experience that they require of everyone to each of their students, then they can't offer those 50 spots. And that what happens is then if they don't fill a spot at the last minute, then those... Those clerkship directors have to go and say, we don't want to lose this spot. We might need it next year. I know I sort of begged and promised all sorts of things to get this spot from you because a lot of times there's not compensation to the clinical training sites. 
on the clinical training sites are like, well, we could offer it to someone else, mm-hmm. maybe someone who's paying us even. And then suddenly your school has lost a spot mm-hmm. that they could offer elsewhere for students, you know, year after year after year. So really, really pro- big professional reasons to be forthcoming and yeah. not promise attendance when you won't be there. Exactly. So there is a, you know, we sort of talked about the difficulty of being on a wait list in general, because I think a lot of students sort of feel a level of failure with a wait list. Right. It's like they see it as a rejection. Yes. It's not. It's not a rejection. You do not go on a wait list without an actual intent of an offer behind it. Yeah. They just don't have a spot yet. Yeah. Or they don't know how that's going to pan out. Yeah. Um, a wait list is saying, yes, we would we yeah. would accept you and give you a seat. We only have so many seats. I hope that we can give you one. Because you're not going to give a wait list spot to someone that's like, this is not a person who's not a good fit for us. No. A wait list is saying, that's what a rejection is for. That's what it is exactly what a rejection is for. Um, you know, even like a, a hold or, or they have the so term? many different names because like, I think like deferred applications, the new one. And I'm just, yes. like, just use standard just, language. Just stick with what we've got. It's all like very vague, like high wait list, soft wait list. Basically, is what like, that is. Schools, if you're listening, come on, let's just stick to the existing language. Use that internally. <laughs> you see, that's the thing. Like having very clear, like, hey, you are waitlisted. Internally, they can be like, this is a, a low waitlist person, but like that's still you're still being considered. Yeah. So anyway, um, and that's you know when I'm talking about, for example having a spot that suddenly needs to be filled last minute, yeah. that's going to be filled from the wait list. Yeah. They're not going to suddenly go in mm-hmm. in June and call yeah. 50 people to come interview. And you, if you've shown interest above and beyond some of these other applicants, you know, maybe you and somebody else had roughly the same type of application and the same sort of interview, but you've been in communication and you've expressed your continued interest or your, or an update that you feel makes you a really a much better fit. Who, who, who are you more likely to give a spot to? Someone that's been communicating and expressing that interest more directly is always going to be the better option. So we did want to talk a little bit about sort of the professionalism behind these communications. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, you know, how do schools want to hear from you in what yeah. format? And we were talking about phone calls. We were talking Mm -hmm. about emails. We are talking about letters, snail mail letters. Mm -hmm. So when is a phone call appropriate? I think a phone call is appropriate if you're trying to understand logistics or sort of the policies around these sorts of communications or process. But you had better have gone on their website first to double check and make sure it wasn't published. Yeah. And and it's fine to ask for clarification. Hey, I read this. Is this what you mean? Does this fall within what your expectations are? Yeah. So I think that's the circumstance where a phone call is appropriate just because there's a lot of room for interpretation when it's words on a page. And we don't want to clutter emails. We don't want to clutter emails. I would always rather take a phone call from a student than respond to an email. That could be a phone call that is a minute to two minutes long Mm -hmm. versus an email that you have to circle back around to Mm -hmm. and answer. Yeah. I would, I, I love when students call in with questions to the, to our office. Yes. Because I can answer it and it can be done and they can ask follow-up questions and I can provide nuance and I can ask them follow-up questions and it doesn't take this back and forth that takes so long with emails. I realize there's a discomfort with phone calls these days, but for with these sorts of questions, it is so often better to, to just call in because I can help a student so much better when I have the opportunity to go back and forth with them. If you're nervous about making phone calls... Come up with a little bit of a template in your head that works Mm -hmm. for you. 
because this won't be the first phone call that you need to make. Mm -hmm. And if you have a template that you can rely upon, and whether it's calling an admissions office or calling a colleague mm -hmm. for a consultation or calling your own physician to make an appointment, mm -hmm. you're going to be a lot more comfortable. Yeah. You know, I think in the future, I hope more physicians are sort of taking the role of like calling insurance companies and saying, this is what my patient needs. This is why nothing else is appropriate. How can we manage coverage on this, right? We should offer it. We should do a podcast that covers sort of here's the basic way of approaching some of these conversations. Well, that would be fun. Yeah. Oh, we should actually bring a student on and like do like role play. That would be fun. That'd be cool. We'll do it. It's going to be great. So... The other element of an email could be a letter attached as a PDF, mm -hmm. which could be appropriate depending mm -hmm. on how the school wants mm -hmm. information coming in. Yeah. And then the other version of that would be a letter sent via regular post snail yep. mail. Some schools have a portal and you will upload your letter there. So that's another reason why having that call, if it's like, hey, you can submit these letters, but they don't say how – it might be a portal, it might be snail mail, right? It might be an email. They may give you options. There's not really one that's, I think, necessarily inherently better than the other. I think it's a lot. There's more steps involved if you send it snail mail because someone has to, like, scan that, upload it to your file, attach it with whatever yes. materials, right? There's more human action. There's this translational aspect to it. Um so, like, I see both sides of it, though, because also a written, like a typed one that's been printed feels more personal, too. There's pros the and signature, cons. the effort of sort of addressing the envelope and mm -hmm. sticking it in the mail. Well, and also, like, so a good sort of rule of thumb is, like, if you were to interview with them, would you do a physical thank you note or would you do thank you emails? If you're more apt to do a thank you email, do a typed emailed version if you're more apt like i'm a i love a handwritten thank you card that's important to me personally i would be more likely to do something that like i i sent in person through snail mail but that's because if i got an interview i would thank them with a physical thank you card and that's just building out your personality mm -hmm. your application as a whole this is who i am this is how i operate this is yeah. what you can expect from me in the future so let's say that you are listening to us and you are thinking okay this all helps me have the right questions in my mind as i approach this but i would like a little bit of help right please please come talk to us here we are waiting for you. Yes. We want to help you with these things. I actually really enjoy working on the, this part of the cycle. So do I. It's. I know I'm thinking of one student I've got to get back to right away. There's so much so, passion yeah. in this part of the cycle. This is where I get to see students come alive about a specific school and program because it has finally felt real. Like okay. super real. So I'm going to counter you here, John, for mm -hmm. anyone who's listening. This is also the part of the cycle where I get really annoyed. <laughs> That's when also fair. you come to me and you want to write one of these letters mm -hmm. and it's clear to me that you're purely doing it as a checklist item and you don't really care. Mm. And that to me tells me that this is not your cycle. Mm-hmm. And we need to hone in on why you're applying mm -hmm. and where you're applying. Maybe mm -hmm. it's not that you're ill-suited for this profession. Maybe it's that you just haven't applied to the right schools yet mm -hmm. that get you really excited and turn you into the person that you're talking about, John, mm -hmm. where there's all this built-up passion and excitement about the yeah. process. Yeah. So I can get a little bit annoyed when you come to me. And you take an, a, a, an appointment slot and you haven't taken any time to consider what are these different types of letters? What might a draft look like? What mm -hmm. would I put into it? Yeah. Why am I feeling so strongly that I need to send it? Then I think, okay, what's going on here? Yeah. So, Is this the right step for you to be taking right now? I do think that from time to time. Yeah. Do you need to be th – sometimes I think – 
do we need to be thinking about this or do we need to be thinking about a reapplication cycle? Exactly. Because if you're trying to sort of cast like a little bit of like a filter across some deficiencies and sort of distract from them, they're going to see the, the deficiencies. If you can't come to me with enthusiasm and excitement over why you really want to go to this, that, this or that institution or why a letter of update or interest is so important for you right now, then I'm wondering if you would be able to communicate that to the school. Yeah. And what did your primary and secondary application communicate to them if you can't communicate this to me now? Yeah. I don't see this problem with our letter of intent students. No, definitely not. Um, I see this with the students who perhaps I think most often don't have enough clinical experience and they can't, they struggle with answering that basic why question. They're trying to manufacture something that doesn't exist yet. They're still trying to talk. They're still trying to make themselves look attractive to somebody else as opposed to just being ready and attractive. And schools don't want to see a manufactured version of you. They want to see the real you ready And they read enough applications that they know right off the bat when something's manufactured. And this is not me just being sort of burned out and sarcastic. (laughs) This is me having spoken to many people in admissions who read hundreds and hundreds of applications. And they're like, well, I know in the first few sentences if they really mean it or not. Yeah. You know, we've been in, again, I sort of said this earlier, but we've been in this long enough at this point that it's not like we don't know anybody. Like, I have friends that are admissions officers. I have friends that are faculty at schools. I, you know, we just know people at this point. We talk to them regularly. So, like, I don't want you to feel like we're just, again, being negative Nellies. We're telling you, we're distilling all of this advice and comments and, like, backhanded not so nice compliments about certain applications that we've heard from all of these people that we know and distilling it down into this you know 40 minute podcast we want you to have a successful cycle so we're trying to take all of the knowledge that we have and present it to you in a way that helps you be successful yeah and success doesn't always mean applying right here and now yeah that's a hard lesson to learn it's a hard place to find yourself especially when you enter into a cycle with so much energy and excitement but sometimes it's a matter of learning is that excitement and passion is that pressure and is the excitement things that are driving you well sometimes the excitement and the passion is not yet grounded enough in real lived experience. Mm-hmm. And we've had standout applicants who get in on their second or third try mm-hmm. because what started out as this wonderful excitement and passion in year one, in year two and three, mm-hmm. is slowly but surely backed up by more lived experience mm-hmm. that translates onto the paper yeah. as a really stellar applicant. And then you see that in mm-hmm. their cycle. I so recently, I think right before the break, um, Dr. Krejcik, our director, she asked me if I remembered a student, and it was a student I worked with my very first year at Penn State. I said, "Oh, I do, I do remember them." And uh, it turns out that she had done their comprehensive review this past year, and she was like, you know. I just wanted you to know that they've had a really excellent cycle this go around. And a few years ago when you talked to them, you had actually like told them to wait. And I'm like, I don't really tell people to wait, but I could see how a student would have interpreted that from what I was telling them of like where the weaknesses were in their application. And she's like, they're doing wonderful this cycle. They have had so many responses. They've already gotten acceptance of somewhere they'd really love to go. They're waiting on a few more decisions. I don't, I, I, I am, I love working with reapplicants. 
I'd much rather work with someone that we've worked with prior through our process because it is extensive. It, it is. We do ask a lot for our students who work with us through comprehensive review. We ask a lot of you, but that's because we want you to know exactly what's expected in that application. And so you can see for yourself what you're going to look like. Mm-hmm. And because I, this is a hard place to be. This whole conversation today is a hard place for students to live. There's a lot of anxiety wrapped up in it. There's a lot of stress. And if we can reduce the number of students that we have to have these sorts of conversations with, because they're just applying when they're ready, I would love to only have to talk about letters of intent with students. I'd love to just talk about how to get yourself off a wait list, because there's a lot of power in that. My favorite letters are update letters, Hmm. because I am so excited for your continued commitment and growth and Mm -hmm. progress in the field, despite not yet getting into the program that you want to go to. I like the students who have good update letters. Yes. Because even if they don't get in that cycle, I am already thinking about what their next application could look like. They're loving what they're doing. And how it can transform how a a school would view them in a following year. They get to a point where they realize that it's not just about getting in. Yeah. It's about all of this stuff that they're continuing to do or the new opportunities that they've found Mm -hmm. that they love regardless of whether they've been accepted to med school, dental school, PA school, whatever. They're just excited about growth. And schools love that. Shines through. It's, yeah, it's, it's sparkles. Like, Students are like, what can I do to stand out? Do something that you really love and are passionate about and that you would do regardless of this. Yeah, I love those. That's that's how you stand out. Because I think we've probably, I know I've said this on this podcast before, but, you know, the question, like, how do you stand out? I love listening to admissions officers respond to this because they're like, you won't. Unless you're curing cancer, you're not, you're not sticking out but we can get excited about what you're getting excited about the real answer is no there's no way to stand out but there is a way to set yourself apart from other applicants which is very different and it's not what you do it is what you do with the experiences you choose i'm thinking of a student right now who i'm working with who's working on putting their application together and they've been out of school for two years now, Mm -hmm. I believe. And just watching each year or every six months or so when they check in Mm -hmm. the growth and now checking in more like every six weeks or so as they're putting together their materials and seeing it all taking shape. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, Oh, this is great. This is fun. This is not a slog because we're trying to create something, manufacture something. This is real and this is genuine. And you are going to continue on this path regardless of what this application looks like. Yeah, I don't. I I sometimes worry that students will take some of our advice and use it to like game the system in a new way. Can but you give an example. Of like, okay, well, if I just talk about everything that I do super enthusiastically, like I can manufacture that. No. And like I, anything that I choose, I make it my passion, right? It's like, okay, like you might get through with that. Maybe. But most of the time, you'd have to be a very good writer to do that one. But two, you're going to run into this exact same problem once you hit residencies. And you can, you can get away with it four years of undergrad and maybe some gap time. It's going to be so transparent in medical school because the choices are different. You have, and the process is different. The process is different. What I hope students do with what we have taught them are life lessons that they can implement in the future. Right. I hope by the way that we have conversations about how to express yourself, how to be thinking about where these other places are at in their cycles, how to continuously be drilling down deeper into your thoughts and your insights. 
sure it's it's going to help you in this next step, whether it's medical school, dental school, PA school, whatever. I want you to be ready for that step afterwards, whether that's residency, whether that is, you know, you want to become a part of a practice group, right? And you want to, and you're interviewing to join them. We, I want you to be ready to know how to do that without having a pre-health advisor with you, <laughs> right? Because yeah. yes, there's, there's some people, there, some schools will do some work with residencies, but for jobs, sometimes there's not as much of that. Yeah. So you have to sort of, I hope that we are building base skills that you will be able to use forever. So, all right. So I think we're at the end of this topic. Got excited. Yes. Hopefully you were excited. Please, please, please come work with us. This is something that like Kimberly and I in particular really, really, really love this part of the process. This is our January. Yes. And February. I love it. Yeah. And, you know, yes, we want you to do things that you love and are passionate about. This is something I really love and am passionate about. So like, yeah, come work with us. It's going to be great. I might diagram your letter on a marker board. (laughs) (laughs) I love using a marker board. (laughs) Anyway. All right. So we're going to end our conversation here. Thank you for joining us this week. And we'll see you next week on the Pre-Health Podcast at Penn State. The Pre-Health Podcast at Penn State is a production of the Pre-Health Advising Office and the Everly College of Science at Penn State. It is produced, edited, and promoted by the Pre-Health Advising Team. The views, opinions, and advice shared during this podcast are those of the hosts and any guests only and do not necessarily reflect the best advice for every student at every institution or for every health profession. This is a nonprofit podcast made for the purpose of better serving pre-health students across the university system. Our intro music is This Science by Coma Media and our outro music is Screening, also by Coma Media. 